Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. That song that we sang just a moment ago, a couple of songs ago, Battle Cry, that is a Rock Hill original song. And our worship team did a great job with that song. And uh, be on the lookout because in the next couple of weeks, that song is going to drop on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify. And uh, so we're uh, greatly looking forward to that. And uh, we're excited about that song, Battle Cry. How many of you enjoyed that song, Battle Cry? And uh, we had a lot of great announcements today, but I have one more. Is that all right? And uh, sometimes, you know, Steve Jobs used to always say at Apple events, but there's one more thing, right? And he'd save the best for last. So we got a pretty good announcement this morning. On January 17th through 20th, 2020, we're having our third annual Rock Hill Conference. And that is our three-year anniversary as a church. And uh, we are a new church in the city of Fontana, and we're celebrating three years in January. And uh, we want to celebrate big. Uh, one of our core values as a church is that we pause to praise. And, uh, you know, we give God so many prayer requests, but sometimes we forget the praise reports. And uh, we want to pause and celebrate all of the salvations and all of the great things that God has done uh, over the last few years. And the theme this year is Strangers and Pilgrims. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this theme more, but I'm very excited about it. Uh, because the reality is, is that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And the Bible calls us Strangers and Pilgrims. And uh, sometimes the truth is we've settled in where we don't belong. And uh, so I'm greatly looking forward to celebrating three years and talking about how we can have an eternal mindset and an eternal perspective. And uh, so that's going to be a great time uh, coming up January. You can register online. You can register on our website and on Eventbrite. And uh, greatly looking forward to that. If you have a Bible today, Philippians chapter number three is where we're going to be. Uh, Philippians, excuse me, chapter number one is where we're going to be. Philippians chapter number one. We've been in the book of Philippians for the last several weeks, and this morning we are going to close out chapter number one. And week number one, we talked about the bare necessities and how we can have joy uh, despite our circumstances, even if we just have the essentials, the bare necessities. And uh, last week we talked about haters gonna hate. And uh, Paul had some haters, he had some criticism uh, in life. And uh, we learned last week how to navigate opposition, how to navigate criticism, and uh, when there is difficulty thrown in your direction. And uh, this week, uh, I want to preach a message that I'm calling fill in the blank. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. If you're ready, would you say amen? amen. Philippians chapter number one. We're going to start reading in verse number 19 if you have a Bible. In just a minute, most of the verses will be on the screen here, but uh, we're going to start reading to lay a foundation for our message today from the Word of God. In Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 19, the Bible says this, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified. Everybody say magnified magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this 
is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I, I wot not. He was saying, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do right now. I'm not, I'm not ex- entirely sure about this decision. For I am in a strait, verse 23, betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you and, and, all your, uh, and for your furtherance and joy of the faith. Uh, verse number 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by coming to you again. Only, verse 27, everybody say only. He was going to simplify his instruction. He was saying, this is the one thing you need to focus on. Only let your conversation, your, your lifestyle, perhaps your, your citizenship, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I am come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. Everybody say together. For the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that of God for unto you is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me let's have a word of prayer together this morning Father, thank you for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. God, thank you for this opportunity to uh, look to your word, and uh, God, I pray that we can uh, be challenged this morning. God, I pray that we would have an open heart and open mind. Lord, I pray that we would be ready to receive uh, the word of God today. God, I pray that uh, no matter what circumstances we might be facing. God, I pray that we would be reminded today that we can uh, find true happiness. We can experience biblical joy uh, because of the promises found in your word. And uh, God, I pray that we can uh, just have a clear understanding. I pray that your Holy, Holy Spirit would do a great work today. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that we would all leave today with a better understanding of this chapter and the significance for our lives today. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... How many of you do not enjoy taking tests? Can I see your hands? You do not enjoy test taking. How many of you would say, um, you know, I kind of actually like the process of taking tests and studying and getting good grades. How many of you are like that? Okay, well, you know, good for you. Okay. Um, uh, I, I don't enjoy test taking particularly. And uh, I remember the most strenuous test that I ever had to take. Uh, one of the most strenuous tests that I ever had to take was to get my CDL bus license. And uh, in order to get this test, you have to take multiple tests that are a part of one test. You have to take a pre-trip inspection test, and you have to kind of walk around the vehicle and kind of kick the tires and know the measurements, and uh, you got to know uh, where all of the instruments are, and you have to kind of point out any potential problems. And I wasn't too nervous about that portion of the test, and I kind of uh, knew my way around the vehicle that I was driving, so I wasn't nervous about that. And then you have to take the uh, behind the wheel test. You actually have to drive the vehicle. And I wasn't even too nervous about that because uh, despite what my wife Katie thinks, I am a very skilled driver. And so I was not worried uh, about that portion of the test, but I was nervous about uh, the actual written test. And uh, I did not know uh, uh, what was going to be on that test. And I tried to do my best to study, but I was still nervous about that. And uh, I, was, I was very nervous about that, but I'm happy to report this morning that I did, in fact, uh, pass with flying colors on my second attempt. But... but I still pass, so that's all that matters. 
And, uh, you know, when it comes to test taking, the worst thing that you can finally see on a test is a fill-in-the-blank question, right? Because if there's matching, you can handle that. If there's multiple choice, that can turn into multiple guess, right? And so that's, that's not, not typically a big problem. Even an essay question uh, is, is sometimes uh, doable because an essay question, you can kind of just get creative and write something really long. And so your teacher is like, oh, I'm not reading this whole thing and just kind of give you half credit or something like that. And uh, so even with an essay question, you can kind of make it work. But when it comes to those fill-in-the-blank questions, if you don't know the answer, you don't know, right? And fill-in-the-blank can, uh, can be a strenuous uh, question on a test. And we come to Philippians chapter number one, and Paul is going to answer one of the most important fill-in-the-blank questions there is in all of Scripture. He's going to answer this fill-in-the-blank question. He's going to give us this, uh, this great insight into uh, the Christian life. And this is the blank that, that he wants us to fill in. Here it is. He says, to me, living is fill-in-the-blank. To me, living is fill-in-the-blank. What is living really all about? What do we uh, live for? What, what, what's the big idea of life? And many people fill this blank with all sorts of different things. Many people fill this in with uh, uh, success, perhaps. Uh, many people will fill this in, perhaps, with uh, uh, their family, even. And I just want to make sure that my family's good, and life is all about family. And so I'm going to prioritize that. Uh, many people will fill this blank in with career. Uh, to me, living is all about uh, a career and making sure that I am successful and reaching the highest point that I possibly can. Uh, for many people, uh, living is all about happiness. I just want to make sure that I can be happy and I just want to make sure that uh, things are going good and that I can avoid any sort of uh, trouble or difficulty in my life. For, for many people, living is about leaving a legacy and they want to make sure that they uh, are doing something good in the world and that their name by, might be remembered. And, and uh, So there's all sorts of different ways that we can fill in this blank, but Paul, in fact, shows us how to fill in this blank in verse number 21 when he says this. For to me, to me living is, to live is Christ. Everybody say Christ. And to die is gain. And so this is how Paul filled in that blank. Would you see it? To me living is Christ. And this was Paul's heart. This was his desire that life is really all about one person, Jesus Christ. My life really is about uh, giving glory to God in heaven. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. That's what it's all about. Paul says, to me, that's what life is really all about. I love what the Bible says in Colossians chapter number three, verse number four, when it says this, when Christ, who is our life, it does not say who is a portion of our life who is a part of our life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so, and so Paul was saying everything in life is really all about Jesus. Christ is our life. Now, I wanted to illustrate this, uh, this this morning for us, and so I I came up with a little uh, wheel for us today, and I think we're going to have a picture on the screen, this little graphic that's going to help us, and I've, I've called this the wheel of life, okay? Everybody look to your neighbor and say, this is the wheel of life. All right. And uh, uh, this is typically how it goes when it comes to prioritizing our schedules and, and uh, our time and our resources. It typically goes something like this. The first one uh, could be uh, my work. That, that takes a big portion of my time. And so I'm going to give that uh, a slot in my life. And that's very necessary. And uh, perhaps family is a big portion of my life. And so I'm going to make that a little bit bigger because I want to make sure that I have a great time with my family. 
and I want to prioritize that. And then we typically have hobbies and, and uh, recreation and different things. And so we want to make sure that those get a portion of our lives. And, and uh, friends is a big deal. And so we want to make sure that uh, we're able to spend time with those people that we love and care about. And uh, finances for sure is a big thing. And we want to make sure that we're paying our bills and investing and preparing for the future. And so uh, we want to make sure that that uh, gets a, a great portion of our lives. And then uh, if you're married, you know, your marriage should be a great portion of your life. And so we put marriage in there. And that's, that's going to be a little bit bigger because I know that that's important. And, and uh, a happy wife leads to a happy life. And so we want to make sure that uh, the marriage is going good. And then th this is what we typically do next. And I know my faith is important, and I know God is important, so I'm going to give God a really big piece of my life. In fact, almost 50%, I'm just going to give it to God. And typically, we feel pretty good about this. I'm going to give God a big section of my life. I'm going to go to church every Sunday, and I'm going to prioritize my walk with God, and he's going to have a really big portion. But I want to tell you this morning that that is a faulty way of thinking. Because Jesus did not die on the cross so that we would make him prominent. He died on the cross so that we would make him preeminent, that we would make him first place. And so how we should do this is put Jesus and put God at the center of our lives. And from the center, everything else will flow through God. And so I want to honor God with my family. I want to honor God with my resources. I want to honor God with my time. I want to honor God with my talent. See, that's what it means to put Jesus at the center. That's what it means to say, hey, living for me is all about Christ. He is preeminent. He is first place, not simply preeminent prominent. The Bible tells us this in Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, everybody say all things, all things, he might have the preeminence. He is the head of the church. He is first place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. And so this is what Paul is communicating here in Philippians chapter number one, when he says, to me, living is Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse number 10 says this, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the process in the way in which we should live. We are alive unto God and we should live through Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus, ultimately for his glory. And so this morning, the question that we have to answer is, how do we fill in that blank? How do we honestly answer that question? Because we might say, well, I would fill that blank in with Christ. It's all about Jesus. But I wonder if our time, talent, and treasure would line up with that claim. For me, living is all about what? Fill in the blank. And so this morning, for a few minutes, I want to look to Philippians chapter number one. And I want us to learn how we can successfully fill that blank in with Jesus. And if it's the desire of your heart to give him glory, and if it's the desire of your heart to live for Jesus and by Jesus and through Jesus, then this morning we're going to look to Philippians chapter 1 and see just how we can do that. If you're ready, would you say amen? amen. Number one, if we're going to do this three ways. Number one, we have to magnify his name. We have to magnify his name. Notice verse number 19 in our text this morning. Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse number 20. 
According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, uh, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And so Paul makes this this grand statement. He says, if I'm living, if I'm going to die, no matter what happens to me through it all, I want to make sure that I am magnifying, I am enlarging Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of my life, to magnify Jesus, to, to lift his name on high and to point other people to him. Uh, This past week I was reading about the James Webb Telescope, and I brought a picture with me this morning, and uh, this is uh, the most powerful telescope in the world, and that's getting ready to launch into orbit, and uh, it, it is so powerful that it is going to be uh, launched out into space, and it's not going to orbit around the Earth like the previous most powerful telescope, which is the Hubble Telescope, and uh, that telescope orbits around the Earth, but this telescope is going to be so powerful that it's going to orbit around the sun a million miles away from the Earth. And it's, it's going to be the most powerful telescope uh, in the history of telescopes. And when this is orbited into Earth, we are going to see things that we've never seen before. We're going to see stars that we've never been able to see before. We're going to see galaxies and in greater detail that we've never been able to see before because that is the purpose of a telescope, to, to magnify and to show us more detail and to enhance our view. And for many people today, their view of God is far too small. For many people today, God seems so distant. He seems uh, so far away, and God is impersonal. I can't really know him. Paul says, hey, it's my purpose to magnify his name, and that's our purpose, like a telescope, to lift high Jesus, to magnify Jesus, and to tell the world, hey, you can know Jesus, and he does love you. You can have a personal relationship with him. He is not distant. He is not impersonal. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to show his grace uh, uh, evidence in your life, and that is our purpose, to magnify Jesus. And so Paul says, no matter what I do in life, I want to magnify his name. Now, this is so countercultural to our day today because the culture in the world says, magnify me, magnify you. Hey, 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 let's just focus on ourselves and let's just focus on you. And here, here's five tips for a better you. And here's, here's a way you can have, be a better version of yourself. And here's how you can get your name out there. And here's how you can better network. And here's how you can better uh, succeed. And here's how you can reach the top. And it's all about you. It's all about uh, I, me, myself, and I. And Paul says, I don't care about any of that. I want to make sure that Christ is magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That's my goal. Now, now, how can we do this? How can we live in a way that gives God this kind of glory and magnifies his name and points uh, other people to him? Well, I, I believe that there's two ways, uh, and we see these in the text today. And uh, the first is found back in verse number 19. And we, we see Paul talking about the right process. Everybody say process. process. Paul says, here's the process that I can do this. Not, notice what he says here. He says, for I know that this shall... Uh, don't you love the confidence of the Apostle Paul? He's like, I, I know this. This shall happen. He, he was very confident. He says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now, the word salvation there means deliverance. And uh, so there's a, a debate uh, uh, talking about whether this salvation is his eternal deli- deliverance or if it's his temporary deliverance from prison. Paul's currently writing this letter from a prison cell. And so he says, he says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation. And so whether Paul was talking about his eternal deliverance or whether he was talking about his temporary deliverance from prison, either way, he was confident this is going to turn for my deliverance. This is all going to work out. He was extremely confident. How could he have this kind of confidence to say, hey, everything's going to be all right? Everything's going to be all right. Because I think, depending on the context, sometimes that statement can actually be harmful. And uh, sometimes we can say, you know, someone that's hurting, we'll go to them, we'll say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. 
And deep down we're wondering, is it? Is it really going to be okay? How, how can we know that? Is everything really going to be all right? Because in my circumstances that I'm looking at right now, it certainly doesn't look like everything is going to be okay. So how can we know that this is going to turn to my deliverance? How can we be so confident like Paul was? Watch what he says. Through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you want to know how we can have this kind of confidence and magnify Jesus' name and no matter what circumstance we're going through, have this boldness and confidence in life. It's contingent upon two things, the right, the right process. Here it is, your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so it's contingent upon the prayer of other believers and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You have to have some people around you that are praying for you, that are in the trenches with you, that actually care about you. And you say, well, I don't think I have that. Join a small group. We would love to be that for you. Because we have to have people that are praying for us, that care about us, that know our pains, uh, that know our, our, our concerns in life. And Paul says we've got to have uh, prayer and then the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And maybe we don't have that kind of confidence this morning because we don't have people praying for us and we're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says, I can be confident. I, I'm going to be so confident in my situation because I know that you've been praying for me. And that gives me confidence. When I know that you're in my corner, when I know that you're praying for me, and I have the, I have the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that's going to give me confidence. That's the right process in order to magnify the name of Jesus. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. And we know, everybody say, we know. We know that all things work together for good. And a lot of times we pause right there. We know that all things are going to work together for good, but we've got to read the rest of the verse. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. And so we can have this kind of confidence knowing, hey, God is sovereign. He's in control of my situation. I have some people around me praying for me, and I have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling me, and the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available within me. And so I'm going to tap into that power, and I'm going to move forward in my calling with some confidence because I'm not in this alone. I've got some people in my life that are partnering with me and that are praying for me, and I have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Of course I can be confident in that. I'm not confident in myself. I'm not confident in my flesh, but I can be confident in prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says that's the right process. But then he had the right perspective. Notice verse number 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Talk about confidence and talk about the right perspective. How frustrating would the apostle Paul be to his opponents, to his enemies? Anything that they threw out Paul, he just had an answer for them. He just had, he just had a way that he could just kind of respond. They said, Paul, uh, we're going to kill you. And he's like, all right, to die is gain. They're like, okay, fine. We're going we're to let you live. And he's like, to live is Christ. <laughs> They're like, okay, we're going to let you live, but we're going to cause you to suffer. And Paul says, okay, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed in us. But anything that they threw at Paul, he says, hey, it doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter what you say to me. I'm good because Jesus is king. He is in control, and he is sovereign over all the affairs of life. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whatever you want to do, I'm good. God is in control. How frustrating would Paul have been? They're like, oh, we can't, we can't pin him down. Paul that had this confidence and this godly perspective. I wonder in life if what we need is not a new opportunity, but a new outlook. To say, you know what, okay, I'm going through a difficult season, but God is still good. Yeah. No matter what kind of suffering I might be enduring, no matter what kind of trial might come my direction, God is in control. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Either way, I'm confident in my Savior. And so what we see is, 
is Paul has this great confidence and he is magnifying the name of Jesus. How can we fill in the blank with Jesus? Well, we've got to magnify his name. Paul said, that's the goal. I want to magnify Christ, whether it's by uh, execution or by exoneration. I'm going to uh, magnify the name of Jesus. That's number one. But here's number two. We have to identify our purpose. If we're going to fill in the blank with Christ, we have to identify our purpose. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. How many of you have ever had something and uh, you just didn't even know what it was for? Can I see your hands? You just had something in your life and you're like, I don't even know what the purpose of this is. Um, I brought with me this morning one of my uh, son's old onesies and it says, hello ladies. <laughs> and we have three children and our first two children, they wore a lot of onesies, and uh, uh, if you're a parent with, with babies and with, with toddlers, you know that onesies can be a big pain, right? Because uh, if there is an accident, which there will be, and if it gets very messy, which it will, um, it becomes problematic because you have these little buttons down here, and you try to take the buttons off, and then you try to, try to uh, pull the onesie over, but then it just gets really messy, and then you're trying to not get it on the face, and you're not trying to get, you know, so, so it's, it's really complicated, and uh, we went through two children, and uh, that was always a frustrating experience until we discovered one day that there are these special magical little slits right here at the top, these, these little slats that, that if you pull them to the sides, it actually widens uh, the neck that you can actually pull the onesie down, avoiding all mess. And we had no idea that you could do that until our third child, Blakely. And, uh, and uh, normally the third child, you know, they, they don't get as many cool things, but Blakely got this, and that was awesome. And, uh, and so, you know, it was very frustrating when we didn't know the purpose of these little, these little slats here at the top. But once we discovered the purpose, that alleviated much frustration. So often we experience frustration in life because we don't know our God-given purpose. And we're going through life, and we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to go, and we don't know what God has called us to, and we're not really sure why we're here. And so Paul says, hey, you've got to identify your purpose, why you are here. Now, ultimately, our purpose is to give glory to God. Uh, that is why you were created. That is why God has you on this planet, to give him glory, to reflect all the glory to him. But specifically, God has a, a, a specific purpose for you, and we've got to identify what that purpose is. And Paul's going to help us with that uh, this morning uh, in verse number 22. It says this, but if I live in the flesh, Paul's going to present this dilemma. He's going to present this dilemma that he has. He says, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I, I wot not. He's like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to do. He says, for I am in a strait betwixt two. And so uh, that, that carried the idea of being captured, being stuck. Uh, that was the word picture. It was actually of a city that was, that was captured and surrounded. They didn't know which way to go. And so he says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart. And to be with Christ, which is far better. And so Paul says, man, I have this real desire. I want to be with Jesus. I, I, I want to be in heaven. And uh, Paul just had this, this, this great desire to see Jesus, the one that he had been serving, the one that he had been preaching. He wanted to experience the reality, the wonderful nature of heaven, and to see his Savior face to face. And he just, he just had this desire. Uh, how many of you have ever been homesick? Can I see your hands? Ever, ever been homesick? I, I, I remember the longest that I was uh, ever out of the country. I was in the Philippines for a month, and I was doing some missions work when I was in college. And I remember towards the end of that trip, I was getting so homesick. I was ready to come home and to have an In-N-Out burger and to sleep in my own bed. And, uh, man, I was homesick. And when you're homesick, that's all you can think about, right? You just, you just want to be home. And here Paul is homesick for heaven. He has this, this, this wonderful desire. He wants to see Jesus, and he's homesick, and he wants to, he wants to be uh, with Jesus. In fact, uh, he says, having a desire to depart. 
in, in Greek, that was a nautical word, and it carries the idea of a, of a boat that is, that is uh, being uh, detached from the dock and that is setting sail out into the water. And he was saying, I have this desire to go and, and just, to, just to be with Jesus. And see, sometimes we don't have this desire for heaven because things are pretty comfortable down here. Because we're, we kind of like how things are going down here. We've kind of set up camp down here. We don't have this, this desire. And Paul says, man, uh, I just, I just want to see Jesus. And he has this wonderful desire. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them uh, that love him. See, Paul did not fear death because he understood that death uh, was not the end of the road. Death was the bend in the road. And he says, I know that death just means seeing Jesus. That's why he could have confidence and say, whether by life or by death, I'm going to magnify Jesus because he was homesick for heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this in verse number 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to that day. I am so thankful that heaven is a reality, that we have the hope of heaven, and the best part about heaven is that we're going to be with our Savior. We're going to see him face to face face. There's no more crying, no more death, no more tears. Heaven is a wonderful reality beyond our wildest expectations. And the best part about heaven is not what is in heaven, but who is in heaven. And Jesus is in heaven, our Savior. And so Paul is homesick for heaven. But watch this. He kind of he, he turns gears. He has this dilemma because he's going through persecution. He's ready to see Jesus. But then in verse number 24, he shifts gears. Notice what he says. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says, I do want to see Jesus and I do want to experience the realities of heaven, but I understand that I have a job to do still. I, I need to stay where I'm at because more people need to hear the gospel and more churches need to be started. And there's a job and there's a purpose that I need to fulfill. And what he did was he identified his purpose. And this morning, maybe you are here today, maybe you are discouraged, and maybe you've been going through a rough time, and you're wondering if it's worth it, and you're wondering if you have purpose. Maybe you've even thought of ending your life. And this morning, I just want to tell you that God has a wonderful purpose for your life. He loves you beyond your wildest expectations, beyond your wildest imagination. He loves you. He cares about you. You have great hope in Jesus Christ. You are not alone. And God has a purpose, a plan for your life. And he wants to use you for incredible, extraordinary purposes. And there might be some frustration if we don't know our purpose, but I want to tell you this morning, you have a purpose. There are people in your life that need Jesus. There are people in this city that need Jesus, and we've got to go out to the highways and hedges, and we've got to compel them to come in. That is our purpose. That is our calling this morning as the church to magnify Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to, 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 to edify the church, and to evangelize the world. The Bible says this in John 4, 35. He says, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold. I say unto you, lift up your eyes uh, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Can I encourage our church family this morning? Can I encourage Rock Hill? The harvest is now. There are people in our city. There are people in Fontana, in Ontario, in San Bernardino, in Rialto, in Rancho. There are people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if not now, then when? And if not us, then who? And we've got a calling and we've got a purpose to go out and to tell them about Jesus. Paul said, man, I want to be in heaven and I want to see Jesus. Jesus, but I recognize, I understand, I have a purpose right now. I've got to stay, I've got a job to do, I've got a purpose, I've got a mission that I've got to accomplish. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. 
He says, I have a purpose. I want to I serve the church. And then he goes on in verse number 25. He says, and having this confidence, Paul is very confident if you haven't noticed by now. I, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of the faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus uh, for me by my coming to you again. See, Paul was so others focused. He says, I, I need to stay for you. It's not for me. I'm ready to see Jesus. But I understand that I have a purpose and I have a calling and I need to do this for your joy. See, he was very interested in serving other people and lifting up other people's joy. It wasn't just about his joy, and it wasn't Paul saying, I need to be a happy camper. He was like, I want to make sure that you're a happy camper and that you have joy and that you can rejoice in the, in, in, in the Lord and in your situation. And so Paul was others-focused. He had this others-first mindset. And uh, this week I was reading and I saw uh, this missionary logo uh, for an old missions organization, the American Baptist Mission uh, Society, I believe. And uh, this missions logo... It has, on, it has on a logo, it has, has this ox and a plow in the front, and then on the back there's an altar. And the inscription says, ready for either. And I love this inscription, I love this logo, because I believe it's, it should be the desire of our hearts. And the ox and the plow represents service. The altar represents sacrifice. And these missionaries had a heart that says, hey, whether it's serving God or sacrificing for God, we're ready for either. We're ready to serve other people. It's all about others. We're ready to sacrifice. And if it means death, then so be it. We're ready to make that sacrifice because we want to serve the Lord for his glory. We're ready for either. And this is the desire of Paul. He says, man, I have this desire to go to heaven, but I understand that I have a purpose and I want to reach more people. I'm ready to serve for their joy and for their growth in the gospel. And so uh, we see this morning that we've got to magnify his name. We've got to identify our purpose. But there's a third uh, thought today and we'll be done. Number three is this. We have to solidify our position. If you're still with me, would you say Amen. I'm going to ask uh, Daniel if you can come up here for a second and help me. The Bible says this in verse number 27. He says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast. Everybody say, stand fast. Stand, stand firm. Got to have a, a firm position. And a lot of times in life, we... we we know what God wants us to do sometimes, and we've found our purpose, but where we lack is our position, and we, we, we're kind of all over the place and have some instability, and so Paul says, you need to stand fast, you need to stand firm, and uh, uh, Daniel, if you can come over here, Daniel played, played basketball in college, so, so I need his help for uh, an illustration this morning, and uh, Daniel, in basketball, did you ever have to uh, set a screen? Yes. All right. <laughs> did you ever have anyone larger than you run through you and it hurt? Yes. Right? Did you ever get injured? Yes. All right. And when you set a screen in basketball, uh, what a coach should tell you to do is, is what, Daniel? How should you set a screen? Firmly. Firmly, yes. <laughs> it's a good thing you read the verses. I'm going to go, okay. Um, so a, a coach will tell you, you know, you need, to, you need to be firm and you need to stand strong when you set that screen because uh, if you don't stand strong, you're going to get run over. And so, uh, Daniel, uh, I want you to pretend like uh, you're setting a screen right there, and I want you to do um, a not firm screen, okay? And so if you're just kind of standing up and you come and you're going to set a screen and you're trying to block someone from going through, if I'm trying to get through the screen and you're standing like that, it's going to be easy for me just to kind of go right through you, right? And uh, come stand over here. I don't want to uh, mess up our TV, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> 
you're going to be fine. But the TV, we got we to make sure that's... Um, and so if you're not standing firm, it's going to be real easy. As soon as a little bit of difficulty comes and as soon as someone bigger comes, you're just going to kind of move out of the way and it's going to be no problem for me to get right through. And so what a coach will tell you to do is he'll tell you, bend your knees, get wide, get low. And so when someone comes, it's going to be a lot harder for them to get through that screen. They're going to try to find fight around that screen and then you're not going to be able to do it. And so he says, you got to solidify your position. Thank you, Daniel. Let's give it up for Daniel this morning. And what happens so often in life is we're, we're standing, we're ready, we want to do what God wants us to do, and then a little bit of opposition comes our way, and what happens? We fall. And we think we know what we believe, and then we see one video on the internet, it's like, oh man, I wonder if the earth is flat. And we're up and down, and, and all our emotions are high and low, and we're all over the place. And Paul says, hey, quit it. Stand firm. Solidify your position. So how can we do that? And I think as we close this morning, we'll look at these last few verses and see how we can solidify our position to stand strong. Because the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. And carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He says, hey, we've got to have some spiritual maturity that leads to stability, that leads to the glory of God. And we can't just be all over the place. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says it this way. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Unmovable. Stand fast. And so how can we do that? There are four areas in which we need to be strong as we close this morning. Are you ready? Four, four areas. First, we have to be strong in our citizenship. In our citizenship. We say, well, what does that mean? Well, verse number 27 says this. Only let your conversation. And the word conversation there carries the idea of, of your lifestyle, your citizenship. And so Paul is, is making this analogy, and he's saying you need to be a strong uh, citizen. And uh, he's probably using this analogy because uh, the Philippians had this uh, pride over their Roman citizenship. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, and, uh, and uh, so when you would visit Philippi, you would be reminded of Rome. Everywhere you went, it kind of looked like Rome, and, you, and the culture was like Rome. And so he was saying you need to make sure that your citizenship is reflective of, of your eternal kingdom. And so when people come into your life or when people come into the church, they should recognize a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom uh, from Jesus. Make sure that you are uh, having a strong citizenship. And what he's saying is make sure you are reflecting a lifestyle that is Jesus. The Bible says it this way in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so we do not belong here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven and we ought to live like it. Okay. And a lot of times our values are so earthly. And what Paul is saying is when he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel, he's saying your citizenship, your lifestyle should be reflective of heaven. And so we've got to be strong in our citizenship. Secondly, uh, we have to be strong in our consistency. Everybody say consistency. Because notice what he says here. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent. Paul says, hey, whether I'm able to come back and visit you, which I hope I can because I love you and I care about you and I'm praying for you, but whether I can come or whether I can't, I'm praying that you would be consistent and that you would still stand firm and stand strong. And so often we have this inconsistent label as Christians. In fact, yesterday, yesterday I saw on Twitter, uh, one of the top trending hashtags on Twitter was this, fake Christian. One of the top trending phrases yesterday in our world, fake Christian. Because so often we are inconsistent. 
and we become very good at putting on a front and acting like we have it all together, but then our, our lifestyle is something different. And Paul says, hey, whether I'm able to come and see you or whether I can't, you still need to stand firm. Hey, whether it's a Friday night or a Sunday morning, your values and your passions and your lifestyle and your conversation should be the same. There ought to be some consistency there. And so he says, we've got to be strong in our citizenship. Remember, we're citizens of heaven. We've got to be strong in our consistency. We're not just kind of one way when we're with this crowd and another way when we're with this crowd. No, there's consistency there. But then strong also in our collaboration. Because he goes on in this verse and he says, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, stand strong, stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He says, I want you to be strong in your collaboration. You want to have that stability. You want to solidify your position in life. You've got to get some people around you that can be your support system, and you can do life together. You can strive together for the faith of the gospel. I, I read one uh, author. He compared uh, Christian unity to uh, marbles and magnets. And he says, sometimes we think that unity is kind of like marbles. We all look the same. We're all the same size, and, and uh, that's our unity. But he says, that's not spiritual. That's not Christian unity. Christian unity is more like a magnet. Because no matter what the shape is on the outside, there's something on the inside that draws us together. And so for us, it's not about all looking the same and having the same preference and having the same style and music and all of these things. There's something on the inside of us. His name is the Holy Spirit, and uh, he is God, and he draws us together. And so there is this magnetic uh, culture in Christianity where we have the Holy Spirit drawing us together and to live a united uh, life together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so he says uh, we need to be strong in our uh, collaboration. Uh, we are united. We're working together for the faith of the gospel. We're united. We're standing together for the faith. See, we are not just a social club. We're not just kind of a gathering. Let's just come and hang out and kind of talk about our likes and our dislikes and our interests. No, we are united around the person of Jesus Christ, Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what unites us. It's all about the faith of the gospel. That, that's what brings us together. And so Paul says we've got to be strong in our citizenship. We've got to reflect heaven. We've got to be strong in our consistency. We've got, we've got to have a consistent walk. We've got to be strong in our collaboration. We've got to work together. But then he closes it out by saying we've got to be strong in our conflict. Because along the way, we're going to experience conflict. We talked about that last week. We're going to experience difficulty. And notice how he closes it out in verse number 28. He says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Again, so, so often in this chapter, he's saying be confident, be bold. Nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition. And what that means is he's saying, hey, uh, to your enemies when they're persecuting you, that's just a sign of their destruction. They're just digging their own grave. To them, it's an evident token of perdition, destruction. But to you, of salvation and that of God. And so we're going to have adversaries. We're going to have difficulty, but we can still have confidence because we know that that's simply a sign for their destruction and our salvation. And then he goes on in verse number 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And, and please hear me, we're almost done. But Paul gives us this brand new perspective on suffering, on conflict. He says, for unto you it is given. It's a gift. He says, you've been given suffering. See, you've been given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. See, when you receive the gift of salvation, 
you also received the gift of suffering. And a lot of times we think, man, how can suffering be a gift? And how can this trial be used for God's glory? And, and what, what could possibly be the purpose in this situation? And Paul says, hey, let me give you a new perspective. Suffering is actually a gift because it brings you closer to God. Suffering is actually a gift because it gives you assurance that God is working in your life and it brings you closer to him. And this is a new perspective. Suffering is a gift. And so we've got to be strong in our consistency and in our collaboration, but also strong in our conflict with that perspective that I've, I've been given this, this difficult season, this season of suffering, but I'm going to view it as a gift from God. What can God teach me through this? We've got to stand strong. We've got to solidify our position. Acts chapter 5, verse number 41 says this, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing, the early church, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They said, man, this is a privilege. It's a gift. Paul says, Jesus is everything to me in this passage. Christ is life. How do we fill in that blank? For Paul, it was Christ. To me, living is what? Maybe today you can't honestly say Christ. You can't honestly say Jesus because you've never accepted him as your savior. And it's hard to make Jesus everything in your life if he's not indwelling you, if he's, if he's not taking up residence in your life. And maybe you've never experienced the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. And today you can because Jesus changes everything. Uh, recently, uh, there is a respected theologian who, who just passed away. His name was Norman Geisler. And uh, uh, he, he taught uh, in university for 50 years. And uh, he wrote over 100 books. And he said this, speaking of Jesus, So I cast my lot with him, not the one who claimed wisdom, Confucius, or the one who claimed enlightenment, Buddha, or the one who claimed to be a prophet, Muhammad, but the one who claimed to be God in human flesh, the one who declared before Abraham was born, I am, and he proved it. Today you can trust in the person of Jesus Christ. He is who he says he is. And the Bible says this in Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Aren't you thankful for that promise this morning? You can be confident in your salvation, in your eternal destiny. You can be saved through the person of Jesus Christ. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you are a Christian this morning, if you are saved, how do you fill in this blank? We have to magnify his name, identify our purpose. We've got a job to do, and we've got to solidify our position. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.com.